Well, hey guys, I'm so glad that you are with us. And uh, today we are wrapping up our series that we've entitled Anchored. And listen, I'm really excited about today. It's going to be very practical, and I think we're all going to get a lot out of what Paul has to say to us in these last couple of verses. But before I get there, I want to say thank you to a few of you. Um, you know, we have so many people who are logging on, who are watching us from all parts of the world, believe it or not. And we love that we get to do life with you for a little bit of time during the week. And we also love hearing the stories about what this ministry that God has given us, giving away to you, is doing in your life, in your marriage, in your kids, where you work. Uh, it is so encouraging to us. And, uh, and so some of you have actually taken a step to give financially to help us with our online campus. COVID hits. We had no idea how to do an online campus. We're still figuring it out, but God is blessing in amazing ways. And for anyone who gives for the very first time, uh, by the way, a giving link is right there to help support us in getting this message of Jesus out to the rest of the world. We have something that we want to send you. This is our gift to you. Um, uh, we love talking about we are a bridge of hope to individuals, and, uh, and that's what we want to do. We are are a bridge of hope and our mission is simply this to lead people to fall more in love with Jesus so if you've never given before I encourage you to join the rest of us trying to let the world know about Jesus and we would love to send this to you and no I'm not going to tell you what's inside of it but we think you'll really enjoy it okay so thank you again for partnering with us and, uh, and hopefully if you haven't you'll do that and if not Again, I think you're going to really enjoy today as we conclude this anchored series in the book of Colossians. If you haven't been with us for a while, let me kind of bring you up to speed. Colossians is a four-chapter book, real short. Encourage you to read it. The very first two chapters... Yep, you're right. It's all about Jesus. <laughs> it's about how amazing he is. He is priority. He is the most powerful. He is first position in everything, and rightly so. So that's the first two chapters of Colossians that we covered. The last two chapters really talks about, wow, since he is number one and we're number two, since he has changed our life, what kind of difference should it make in our life? If you didn't catch last week, Kurt actually talked about that. Man, that we should take off our old life and we should adopt this new way of living that Jesus has not only given to us, but actually invites us into. Uh, and it changes everything when we've given our heart to him, or at least... It should, right? And doesn't that include our relationships? Like, if we are now a Jesus follower, our marriage should look different. Our relationships with our kids should be different. Our relationship with our coworkers, if we're a boss, if we're an employee, that should all radically change how we do life with one another. Because here is a truth about you that I know, and it's a truth for me in my life, and that's this. We all want great relationships. Come on, you can see it on the screen right there. We all want great relationships. No one goes into a marriage at the altar and in their mind they're thinking, hmm, how can I completely blow up this marriage one day, right? Nobody thinks that. No one holds their son or their daughter and in their mind they're thinking, I am so grateful that one day my son's going to be in a counselor's office because of me. Right now, no, no one ever thinks about these things. But here's the question. How often does that happen? 
See, it's not our desire, but it happens a lot. And I would even maybe say we've experienced some of that in our own life. Well, here's what I love. I love that the Apostle Paul is going to talk to us about how to have great relationships. Now, I want to give you a warning. Hang with me. You might not like what he says, though. It's going to sound old-fashioned. I'm just telling you. As a matter of fact, you might hear what he says and you think, there's no way. As a matter of fact, wherever you are, you might say it out loud. I'm not sure, but that might be what you think. So just hang in there with us and let's find out together how Paul says we can have great relationships. In Colossians chapter 3, we're going to pick it back up where Kurt left off with verse 18. And I have actually put in some italicized to help us understand the text a little better because again, you might not like what you hear or you might think it's impossible, but hang in there with me. So we pick it up with the relationships. Colossians chapter three, verse 18. Here's how it starts. Wives, submit to your husband. Be supportive and follow, for this is appropriate in the Lord. Wives, submit to your husband. Don't turn it off. <laughs> don't, don't click the off screen. Don't leave. I understand that in our culture, this is a word that I think has been abused. It's a word that hasn't been understood at all whatsoever. And even when we first read this, right? Wives, submit to your husband. Be supportive and follow them. Ladies, you might be thinking, well, if he were anything like Jesus, I would. He's more like Satan, though. So there's no way I could ever do this. And, and, and I understand that. Our role as a wife is that hopefully our husband is loving and leading in such a way that submission means to support, that I would sub mission as to what he desires to do with our family, how he wants to lead our family, the vision God has given him for life and ministry together. Listen, submission doesn't mean less than. The reason this text shocked the first century readers as well is because if you were a man, you were large and in charge. As a matter of fact, you could actually treat your wife and your kids, if you were the man, like cattle. And it was okay. It was acceptable. Well, Jesus comes along and changes all of that. Paul is now writing about what Jesus taught, which is no one is better than the other. We just have different roles to play. Everyone is equal. A man is not better than a woman. The husband is not better than a wife. Parents are not better than their kids. They're definitely wiser, but they're not better than their kids. So don't misunderstand what's happening. Paul is not saying, hey, wives, you're less than your husband. He goes, no, 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 no. The role that God is asking you to play is that you support him, that you join in the mission that he has for the family unit. This is the role that you play. Now, husbands, now it's your turn. Here's what it says about the husband. Husbands, love your wife. And right now, all the wives are going, see, I'd submit to that guy. I would submit to that guy. See how it works in tandem here? Husbands, love your wife, which means be affectionate and selfless. And watch this last part. And never treat them harshly. Paul says, here's what I want you to do. We're going to change things up. I want you to love your wife and do not treat her harshly. 
Do not yell at her. Do not put her down. Do not put her in her place. See, this is what was happening in that day. And Paul is saying, listen, in light of everything Jesus has done for you, you love your wife. Cherish them. You treat them tenderly. You seek to understand where they are and what they're thinking. And I know what the husband is thinking. You don't know my wife. Okay. You, you, if you knew my wife, <laughs> Paul, you would not have written that right there. My wife is why I want to become a monk. Okay. This, this is, this is the life I'm living. And Paul is going to listen. I, okay. Just, it's a different way of living. I understand it, but here's your role. You love her. And here's what Paul, I think, is also saying, not just here, but also in Ephesians, that when you love and cherish, speak tenderly to, your wife will want to join you, support you, serve you in the mission that God has given both of you for the family and for life. And it's not I'm better than, it's we're in this together and we are better together when we support, when we love, when we submit, when we lead, when we honor one another as a husband and wife. This is what Paul is saying. Next verse, verse 20. Here's what it says. Children, obey your parents. (laughs) Now, if you didn't agree with me on the husband and wife part, (laughs) every parent that's listening right now is going, amen. So now we're back on the same page. But here's what it means for children. Obey your parents. Respect and pay attention. That's what it means. Respect and pay attention to your parents. In everything, for this pleases our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's something that's just interesting to note, okay? It doesn't give an age. So I would argue a relationship with your parent lasts until it actually ends. So I think if you have a parent or parents, I think it's still saying, listen, honor them, obey, listen to them, Um, be respectful of your parents. This is the, the, the dynamic we play as children with our parents. And it's especially true of what we want our children to portray with us. And God says, here's what it says, this pleases Jesus when we do this. The next verse, it says this in verse 21, another relationship in the family. Here's what it says. Fathers, don't irritate your children. In other words, um, don't put trivial demands on them. Don't compare them to their friends. Uh, That's irritating them. And here's what it says. Or you might actually break their spirit. In other words, the weight you carry as a dad is different than any other weight that a mom carries, a sibling carries, a coach carries, a teacher carries. It's just how God designed it. The weight for a dad's voice is just different. It hits harder. It weighs more. Um, I will never forget this moment with my son, my oldest son, Micah. uh, Playing baseball, uh, 10 years old. We go to our first tournament. We thought we had a good team. (laughs) 
we are getting blown out like in the second inning, 15 to nothing, 15 to one. It's like, okay, we're not that good. I remember this one play though, where the ball goes to the outfield. My son's playing second base. He's supposed to cut it. And when he cuts, he throws it home. The runner from second is rounding third. Micah cuts it and he just holds on to the ball. Now, I know now from his perspective, the runner already turned third. He's going to score. So as a young baseball player, he just holds it. Should he have thrown it? Yeah, probably so. But it doesn't matter anyway. We're, we're losing 15 to nothing. Game's about to be over in inning three because of a run rule. When he holds the ball, I'm one of the coaches. I get off the bucket. You know how coaches sit on the bucket, right? I get off the bucket, and I remember taking my fist, and I just screamed, throw the ball as hard as I could. His face dropped immediately, and I knew. I just broke his spirit. That's what I did. That's what I did. The inning ended. He came over, and I'm telling you, the downcast soul, downcast face is the phrase we use. That was him and more. I remember putting him up on the side of the bleacher area to where it was just us. Just took him right over there. I sat him up to where we could see one another. He could barely look in my eyes. And I said, I need you to look in my eyes, please. He looked in my eyes and I went, I am so sorry. And I was so wrong. I should not have yelled at you like that. And I'm making you a promise. I will never do that again. What did I do? I broke his spirit. I exasperated him is what some translations say. I irritated him. Uh, and, and it's so, isn't it? And come on, dads. Isn't it easy? And we get so busy. We get so wrapped up with work. We're trying to take care of things that our kids will never know that we're trying to take care of. And it's like sometimes we're just so tired and they can do one wrong thing. They can say one wrong thing. And we just fly off because why? We know that it's our voice. It's our fingers. It's our snapping that gets their attention more than anything else. And yet what scripture says is, hey, dads, don't do that. Just don't, don't do that. Paul goes on, and here's what he says in verse 22. I like the passion translation on these next verses, so hang with me, because it gives us a different relationship in our life, and we want this relationship to be great as well. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Employees, follow the instructions of your employer. Not just, this is a kicker, not just when the employee, employer is watching, <laughs> and not in pretense, but faithful in all things. Hey, I know that you think your boss is an idiot. Shh, don't type it out in the chat. Chat with Don't say anything, okay? We know that we think at times we know better than our boss, okay? Here's what Scripture says. Hey, what if we take a different look? What if you honor and follow them? God has put them in charge. They have the authority. And just follow their lead. And then it says something to the employer, by the way. For the man or woman who's in charge, here's what it says about your business. Chapter 4, verse 1. Employers, provide. Provide your workers with what is right and equal. As you know that you also have a Lord and Master in heaven who is watching you. And so as you, if you are a boss or an employer, that you're making sure that you're treating your employees right, correctly, with righteousness is the word, not just right, but with righteousness. 
And it's also fair and it's equal, no matter their background, no matter where they're from, but it's equal and it's right for everyone. Why? Because that's how God treats us. And He is our boss or employer, if it will, in the context. Okay? So here are some, some relational anchor words we get from this passage. You'll see it on the screen right here. Relational anchor words. Wives, submit. Husbands, love. Children, obey. Fathers, don't. Employees, follow. Employers, provide. So there you go. Let me pray and we'll go and just figure all this out, right? I mean, isn't that how that's going to work? It's like, what do we do with this? Right? I mean, it's like, okay, I got it. I feel convicted or, all right, I need to work it now. What do I do with this? That's a really, really good question. Let me give you a little bit of background real fast and then we're going to flip it over its own head, okay? In this culture, whoever had the might was right, Okay? In this, that Paul is writing to a culture that if you had the gold, if you had the, the, the luxury, if you were large and in charge, you were right, period. It didn't matter other people's thoughts. It didn't matter. This is important because of what we're going to learn in just a minute. It didn't matter what they needed. It only mattered what you needed and you could use anyone you needed to use to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish. This is the world that he lived in. So now he's writing, and here's what he's basically told us for three chapters and putting it to our relationships. Here's what he's saying. But if you're a follower of Jesus, it will not be that way anymore. That is not the rule we're going to live by anymore as Jesus' followers. Everything changes. So listen, if I read something a moment ago and you went, there's no way, that's not going to work. I got really good news for you. That's exactly what the readers felt like in their culture, maybe to a greater degree because of what the culture was actually like. So what do we do with this? Well, I want to give you an illustration. Illustration that actually happened. So I guess it's more like a story, right? Jesus has spent three years, three and a half years with his followers, his disciples that he chose and you have to remember who he chose. He chose traitors to the Jewish community. Traitors in such a way of taking money from their own people. Living high, big house, lots of money, nice clothes, and giving leftovers or what they were required to give to Rome that was in turn raping and killing their own Jewish people. That's who Jesus chose as one of his disciples, Matthew. He chose zealots, zealots who hated Romans so much they would go on excursions to cut off and kill Romans as they were traveling from one city to another. He chose a zealot to be part of his group. He chose traitors. He chose people who really struggled saying the right thing at the right times. Um, he chose some guys with some anger issues. That's who he chose. This is the group he chose. Spent three years, three and a half years with them. And then it comes a moment where it's their last meal. Jesus knows it's their last meal. They do not. I want to read to you the text in that moment. John 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority 
over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Now, maybe your text says that Jesus knew that God had given him all authority. <laughs> authority over everything or all authority. It doesn't matter because in Greek, here's what it means. All authority. <laughs> like he is not just large and in charge of something. Jesus in this moment, and this text is telling us, it's a realization that Jesus has that he already knew. I really am large and in charge over absolutely everything and everyone. My father has made me the big man on campus. If you're a student listening, this is Jesus. Okay. The next verse is the kicker. He has all authority. He is about to die. The men at the table about to leave, betray, and run from him. So, that's the next word. So, now let me ask you something. As you see that, that little word, so, so what do you think is going to happen next? He's going to tell them off. He's going to have a sermon for them. He's going to remind them, hey, it's all about me. I need you to stay close. I need you to watch me. Don't leave me. Isn't that something that we would say if that was going to happen? No, no, no. Watch how the verse ends. So, Jesus got up from the table, took off his outer robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. All authority. And what does he do? Grabs a towel. He doesn't grab a sword. He doesn't grab a microphone. He doesn't grab... He grabs a towel. <clears throat> In that day... The role he just took by grabbing a towel, taking off his outer garment, was that of a slave. When he started doing this, every one of his followers in that table knew he's becoming a slave. Wait, that's what a slave does. You're all authority. Why are you becoming a slave? And it says he took off and then he put on. He took off his right to make it all about him. He's like, I'm going to lay that down. He took off the authority card that he could have played. I'm going I'm to lay that card down. But what I'm going to pick up is humility. What I'm going to pick up is that of an attitude of a slave. And it says he began washing their feet. In our world... In their world, it was a fight for authority. And it was a fight to show others you had authority. Jesus comes along. And what he wants to know is, what are you doing with your authority? You have some authority somewhere over somebody. What are you doing with it? And he sets the stage. Here's what I want you to do. If you want great relationships... Pick up a towel. If you want a different marriage, pick up a towel. If you want to change the trajectory, possibly they get a choice of your children. 
pick up a towel. You want a different work environment? Pick up a towel. Stop playing the authority, I'm in charge card. <laughs> Jesus put it down. He's going, listen, if you want to follow me, you're going to be one of mine. Put it down and pick up a towel. Now, I want to tell you what I think as I thought about this. And there may be other reasons. But I think the reason we don't pick up a towel is fear. If I pick up a towel and I start serving that way, they will take advantage of me. Listen, I know them and they're going to roll over me more and more and more than that. I think they already do. So they will take huge advantage of me if I do that. Right. Fear. It's a fear of. Well, how am I going to get my stuff done? If I pick up a towel and I start taking care of all of their stuff and their needs and putting them first, who's going to watch out for my needs and my agenda and what I've got going on? Right? Fear. I mean, there's, fear plays a role in all of this. If, if, I, if I start serving, then I actually lose my authority because then I become disrespectful. I don't become more respected and that's what I need, right? And yet Jesus... All authority picked up a towel. See, here's the principle. Great relationships serve one another. Great relationships serve one another. Great relationships serve one another. So, here's the application. Are you ready? For the next seven days, you can do this for seven days. For the next seven days, this is the one question we're going to ask one another with people in our life. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? How can I serve you? Hey, what do you need? Hey, can I help you out right now? What can I do for you? For seven days, that's what we're going to do. Now, if you're thinking, it ain't going to help, <laughs> nothing's going to help, here's what I would say. Okay, then go back to the dysfunction that you hate so much. That's an option. It ain't going to work, man. This is never going to work. Okay. Go back then to the relationship that you're already losing. And yet you know you don't want to lose it. And I would say, what do you have to lose? <laughs> Just try it. Listen, come on. Isn't it true? Come on, wives. If your husband walked in and said, hey, listen, I know you've had a busy day at work. I've had a busy day. But what can I do for you right now? Do you want me to go help the kids? You need a break from them? Like, how would you respond, wives? Just write it in the chat window. right? There. Just write it out. How would you respond if your husband loved you so much, he's looking out for you, and he walked in and said, what can I do for you right now? You want me to cook dinner? I can cook peanut butter and jelly. That's about it. But I can do it if, you, if it helps you. How would you respond? Come on, men. Men, you come in and your wife goes, hey, what can I do for you? How can I help you? I know you've had a stressful day, a lot going on in your world. How can I help you right now? Men, come on. How would you feel? Write it out. You don't have to write out everything, but you can just write out one word or two words or something, right? Listen, kids, students, if you're listening, I'm I'm, I promise you, if you walk in and you look at your mom and dad and you go, Mom, Dad, what can I do for you today? Here's what's going to happen. Take your phone and call 911 because they just passed out on the floor, okay? You're going to need some help reviving them. And let me tell you when to really do it. Oh, this is so good. Listen, if you're a teenager or a young, listen, this is so, so good. Do it when they have friends over at the house. 
Okay, when their friends are over for dinner or whatever, and you're about to go out with your friends, here's what you do. You walk into the kitchen or the living room and you go, Mom, Dad, I'm so sorry to, to, to bother you and interrupt, but here's what I want you to know. I'm going to be in before curfew, and I have my phone. It'll stay on if you need me. But before I leave to go out with my friends, is there anything I can do for y'all? Listen, I'm just telling you, you might come back in a new car sitting in the driveway. I don't know because when you walk out, your parents' friends are going to look at your parents and go, teach us, oh great ones. Why? It's so foreign. And this is what Jesus knows. Do what's foreign. Do the unexpected. Great relationships happen when we serve one another for seven days. What can I do? To help you. What can I do for you? Now, in, in, in the heart of this passage, I didn't read a couple of the verses. Because you might think, how, what's the how can I get my heart there? Or what's the perspective? Because I don't feel like doing that. It's really good. I love verse 23 and 24. Here's the perspective behind serving one another in this passage. Whatever you do, whatever you do, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you are doing it for the Lord, not for a person. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Last part. It is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. You're not really serving your husband. You're actually serving Jesus by serving your husband. You're not just submitting to your husband and supporting him. You're submitting and supporting Jesus Christ for the vision of your family. You're not just submitting to your parents and obeying your parents. No, you're obeying the authority that Jesus has put in your life. And here's what we just read. When you live your life picking up a towel and serving other people, Jesus says, I got you. And I will reward you because you are most like my son when you're giving your life away. Seven days. Simple question. What can I do for you? What can I do to help you? Let's pray together. God, thank you for this time. I'm so grateful for this book of Colossians that we have learned how to anchor our hearts, our soul, and our lives in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And I'm also grateful that it is very practical for us, that we let go of our old life, we pick up our new life that you have given us already. We just live in it. And that God, that, that behavior of being a servant would just simply come out of our identity of being your follower. It's just who we are. But God, we're not left without an example. You, all authority, creator of the world, Lord of everything, picked up a towel. God, may we please follow that example because it really is you that we're serving in the process. We love you. Thank you for this study we have experienced together. In your name I pray. Amen.